everyone, and welcome to my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, still podcasting from the attic of the rectory of Father Henry here in Wageningen, the Netherlands. And in this episode, I'm going to give you my review of the first season, or the season finale, of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And of course, we'll talk about much, much more. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. They get in return an exclusive podcast every week called Father Roderick to the Max, very similar to this show, but with totally different topics. So if you want to join that community that supports my work, go to patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So this past week, I've been working really hard to try to fix some issues that I'm dealing with here in this temporary solution. Now, for those of you that are listening or watching for the first time, uh, this is not my normal studio setup. I recently moved uh, to another town, and because the house is not ready yet, I'm currently kind of squatting here <laughs> in a loft on the attic of a huge, very old rectory. And the problem is this house is so big and the walls are so massive that the Wi-Fi signal has trouble reaching me up here. So I've been working with a technical company and they were looking into things and they're just baffled by the the almost impossible nature of this house when it comes to Wi-Fi. So what we're going to do is next week we're going to try to make a hole in the well in my floor and in Father Henry's ceiling and bring a cable up all the way to the top of the house, install an, another access point there, a Wi-Fi access point and hopefully that will solve my issues. In the meantime, it's really, really hard to stream anything, even to watch uh, like Disney Plus, for instance. I was trying to watch the Falcon and the Winter Soldier season's finale, and uh, I, I just it was buffering all the time. It was a really a pain. So ultimately, I ended up using the Wi-Fi access point of my mobile device, of my Android phone. I set up a hotspot and connected to that. And then probably used up like half of my of my monthly uh, allowance of um, of bandwidth just to watch the season's finale because I wanted to talk about it, which is what we're gonna do right now. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> well, I did make it to the end of the first season of The Falcon and the Winter Season. And I probably think it's going to be the last season of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Because if there's going to be a next season, it will probably have a new title. That has to do with the storyline of the, of the season finale. Now, of course, this was only six episodes long. Which is so short. On the other hand, every episode was about 50 minutes to an hour, so they were they tended to be a bit longer than the individual episodes of WandaVision, which used to have a huge um, post or the, the huge credit sequence, which made it seem as if every episode was like 40 or 45 minutes, but like 10 minutes of it was just credits. Now, you know, of course, that the original plan was to start 
with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and then uh, give us WandaVision much, much later. Because of the pandemic, because of all sorts of issues when it came to filming, they had to switch things around. And so the Falcon and the Winter Soldier had much more time for post-production, uh, and WandaVision was the first series that we saw. These two series couldn't be more different. You know that I was a huge fan of WandaVision because of its originality. I like these two characters very much. And I was less looking forward to The Falcon and the Winter Soldier because from the looks of the trailer, it was very much like a lot of the action that we saw already in the existing movies. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But for some reason, the WandaVision story intrigued me more. It was more mysterious. It made me more you know, wanting to figure out what, what they were going to do with that story. And I think they did a great job. The Falcon and Winter Soldier, much more kind of what we are used to seeing in these movies, which is actually a compliment because especially the action in this six-part series was amazing. I would say it is on par with what we saw in the movies. There was not one single moment where it was like, oh, that looks a little bit cheap or that wasn't you know, the quality that we're used to. On the contrary, I think there were actually a few sequences and also in this finale that were among the best action sequences that we've seen so far in the MCU. But of course, action, special effects, that is not worth much if the story isn't good. And I've had my issues with the story of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I've talked about it in previous episodes, and I, I, I kind of had to adapt my, my original impression and started to really like what they were doing, with, especially with the interaction between the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, I thought the banter, the chemistry started to click, whereas in the first two episodes, it didn't work for me. Um, another thing that I really liked was how they were uh, giving these characters a very interesting story arc, a very personal story arc that also touched upon, I think, some very important themes in, in our modern day society. Um, uh, that there is this, this kind of worldwide trauma from, from having gone through the blip or the effects of the blip. And then when everybody comes back, of course, there's this massive problem of what are we going to do with all these people that came back to a world that in the meantime, in these five years, I think, that the blip uh, took. The blip, by the way, for those of you that are not familiar with the story, is at one point a big evil evil uh, monster called Thanos uh, uh, lets half of, of mankind disappear or wants actually to obliterate half of mankind so that the world has enough resources for everyone. Um, and thanks to the Avengers, the half, the 50% the, the of the people that disappeared through the blip came back five years later. However, the world has a massive problem. What are we going to do with these people? Are we going to relocate them? Or are we going to... Um, kind of bring the world together and stop having borders and whatnot. So it, the crisis had brought people together and it had also had the adverse effect of, of opposing people. Now, of course, this is a mirror of, of the events that we're currently experiencing with the pandemic, where on the one hand, this worldwide crisis had brought, has brought people together because, you know, the virus doesn't make any uh, difference between what country you're from, what language you speak, or what color your skin is. Um, and 
this this worldwide crisis has also made us realize that we need each other. We need this worldwide collaboration to come up with vaccines, with with uh, you know trying to combat this common enemy. And there's you know ultimately it's it's sad, but it's usually a common enemy is is the best thing that can happen to bring people together. Um, so that's one one thing. But on the other hand, we've also seen that the pandemic has created a lots of division in society, different opinions. You've got the, the, the plague almost, the pandemic of fake news and how that is uh, uh, trying to put people uh, opposite of each other, mistrusting each other. And I think that same tension is, and the same effects of the pandemic is, is what is reflected in this story of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I, I applaud the writers for doing this. Um, and I like also that they, they, well, they use the story of the Falcon also to touch upon this this very, you know, topical uh, um, thing of, of 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 systemic racism and how you know people of color don't really get to play the role that you know they should play in society just because they're different from 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 other people, um, and especially in the finale, this is something that becomes very very much the the, the central theme to the point and this is a little bit of criticism that towards the end of the episode it gets very preachy there's this long speech and if you've seen the episode you know what i'm referring to and although you know in in terms of the 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 the, the topic that it, or the 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 central theme i, I mean I, it's very important and it, it fits the story very well but it's so long and it's so preachy. I was like at one point, like, okay, 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 I know what you're saying. And yeah, sure, but can we wrap things up? <laughs> it was it was a bit over the top for me. And I think that that is part of, of uh, um, my criticism with, with Disney in general lately is that they tend to overdo it. Of course, you want your stories to be relevant for today's society. Stories, fairy tales have always had this function of of showing us like the the issues that we deal with, the challenges, the questions, um, the also sometimes the the dangers uh, of our modern day society. Show them in a different context, in a, in a in a fairy tale, basically in a in a fantasy context. See what kind of solutions people find there. Or what kind of values or or, or ideals uh, are saving the day to make us think? What would we do in now that we're dealing with similar problems in our real society? Um, and so uh, this is something of, of stories from old times, and I like it that Disney tries to do that as well. Try to stay relevant. Try to um, find ways to to let these stories talk to us and help us. To, to discern. However, Disney is going a little bit overboard with it, a, a, a very much like, like Star Trek is doing with Discovery, where it's it sometimes gets in the way of the story and it gets too preachy, it gets too, too forced. And with Falcon and Winter Soldier, there were certain aspects of the story that felt too contrived, too forced. So, but anyway... It's a minor complaint when you look at the overall story. So if you look, if I look at the entire season, I think it delivered. And I have to say that one of the reasons that I kind of changed my opinion was uh, looking at 
the videos of the new rock stars, which is a very popular YouTube channel. What they do is every episode, um, they show you what you may have missed. They show you how uh, the story relates to the comics, uh, all sorts of little Easter eggs that are hidden all over the place, just like you know other YouTubers did with The Mandalorian, showing us how much these TV episodes tie in with the universe that we're already familiar with and how much also they, they try to show the fans that they really care, you know. And with Falcon and Winter Soldier, same thing in the season finale. There are some great details. And if you are a fan of the comics... You feel acknowledged, you know. There is the like the the new suit of of the Falcon, which is identical to the suit he wears in I think in a 2015 uh, comic book series. So of course, for fans, that is like wow, they they stay so close. Normally, they they change the costume, make it more like what they did with the X Men, you know, where all the spandex was banned, and all of a sudden they were showing up in all the same kind of leather black suits. And, and it lost a little bit of that, you know, connection with the comics. Here, they went all out. And even to the point that when I first saw the costume, the new costume in, in the season's finale, I was like, wow, that is a little bit much, you know. <laughs> I like it, and I, I really love how they implemented the wings of the Falcon for defense and everything. Um, you can see some some references also to the Iron Man movies, and you can, you can see that it's Stark Technologies. Uh, Wakanda, uh, uh, you know, know-how of, of fighting and defense. Um, and all that comes together in this new costume. But I thought it was a little bit visually like, whoa, that is a lot. But then I saw that it was based on the original comics. And I was like, I like that. I like that fidelity. That That is, you know, I can understand that the comic book fans are super happy. The, the other character arc, I think that was very well done, was Bucky's. Uh, so the Winter Soldier. However, it was in this season's finale was a little bit under well underwhelming. It was there was a very very emotional moment towards the end, a moment of reconciliation, of acknowledgement of who he was and what he had done, almost like confession and contrition, which was necessary for healing. Which for me as a priest is of course <laughs> instantly recognizable as as the missing link in his story arc, you know, he was trying to deal with his past, but couldn't bring himself to confess, basically, what he had done. And the confession actually happens at the end of the episode, and it's it's a beautiful moment, but it's so short. It's so minimal. If you see the whole build-up, it feels rushed, and, and, and it I think it needed more time. And that is also true for the story arc of the villain of, of this uh, first season, who, uh, which is the John Walker's uh, Captain America, who is clearly dealing with uh, you know PTSD is it PTSD, so post traumatic stress syndrome, and uh, he he turns evil at one point. He does something extremely gruesome. Uh, no spoilers if you haven't seen it, but there, there is this one visual at the end of, of uh, I think it was episode four, and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that he just did that. And I, I can't believe that Disney actually put this in, you know, on screen. Um, and he also has an arc, a, a redemption arc here, although it's not really totally redemptive. And the, the weird thing is, and for me that doesn't work in this finale, is that it, it also feels rushed. He's done something terrible, and then 
at the end, there's this like very quick resolution and reconciliation and well, yeah, we're fine. And nobody should be fine with what he has done. And nobody should instantly like give him a new job and everything. And that is also true for the other villain, the 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 the, the female villain, who is uh, has the weirdest story story arc. And for me, the one that truly does not work. She used to be someone who helped the Avengers. Also during this season, she helps the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And at the same time, she cannot be trusted. But the thing is, they don't give us, I think, a satisfying. Uh, explanation why she can't be trusted, why she betrays the trust of the people around her. There is no, there's no convincing motivation for her story arc. And uh, what is totally weird is how it ends. Even the, the there is a like a post credit uh, a scene that sets up events in in future movies or TV shows. Maybe this is even going to be you know like a little uh, setup for. Um, the Secret Invasion series that they're planning, which is all going to be about the scrolls, I think, and whatnot. But at one point, like everybody does, as if there's, you know, not, she did nothing wrong, and and I was like, everyone knows that she she shouldn't be trusted, and she shouldn't be rehabilitated like this, this quickly. So. All this feels rushed, feels a bit contrived. I, I wish they had had another episode or maybe that they had kind of taken the fifth episode, which I actually liked, but it was kind of slow. They had taken more time to kind of give us this ending, maybe a two-parter finale instead of a one-part finale. That would have worked better. Now, redeeming explanation for 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 us as to why sometimes the story felt a little bit rushed and contrived. Uh, this may have, and this is a theory that I've seen, among other things, in one of the videos on um, uh, the new rock stars. All this, the problematic aspects of the story, may be linked to the fact that they had to change the storyline. They did a lot of pickup shots afterwards, and they actually removed a vital part of the story, of the original story, because of the pandemic. I don't know if we'll ever hear what truly went on, but according to rumors, the original story would have featured a global virus and maybe one that was released deliberately by the power broker or by some evil entity. And that virus would initiate or would come from Madripoor, which is clearly an Asian-inspired city. Now, it may very well be that once the pandemic broke out, and they were actually, I think, wrapping up filming of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Disney must have thought, oh, what are we going to do now? I mean, if we use the story as we wrote it, then it is almost as if we are saying, well, you see, this virus is actually man-made and comes from, Asi from Asian countries. That was exactly the big problem that we have with misinformation and fake news and all the, you know, the, the, the uh, discrimination of people from Asian descent uh, f because some people were trying to find a scapegoat for this pandemic and blamed it on, on, on the Chinese. And of course, Disney doesn't want to suggest that they were also thinking that. And so that may be the case, and there are lots of, of clues that make us 
you know, that kind of prove this theory. Um, there is a lot of what they call ADR, which is like dubbing, basically, uh, of some vital ex- ex- exposition moments. So there's a lot of, of exposition, and but you don't see the person talking. It, you see reaction shots. And so that may very well be because they had to change that storyline of, of why is this group of, of, you know, resistance fighters or whatever it is, you know, these, these terrorists, why are they so... Why are they doing what they do? There's this one scene in the second episode. I think it was the second episode where it's this fight on a, on a truck. And Bucky discovers that the truck is transporting uh, vaccines. And they do nothing with that information. That's the only time you hear him talk about the vaccines. So maybe originally these so-called terrorists were actually trying to to get vaccines to distribute them to the poor, which actually would be a very topical thing, you know, because that's one of the issues that we're dealing with in our real world right now is are we making sure that also the poorer countries that cannot afford all this expensive medication, that they too get access to vaccines, or is it just for the rich countries? And if we don't take care of the poor, that may actually have a boomerang, boomerang effect on us as well, because the virus is continuing to mutate in, in countries like India, in countries like uh, Brazil. And these mutations can, can then threaten us because our va- current vaccines wouldn't, wouldn't work enough, wouldn't protect us against these mutations. So anyway, they completely cut out that version of the story and then had to come with a ham-fisted explanation as to why these, these terrorists were doing what they were doing. And it doesn't work as well, I think. So maybe that is the reason that the, f- the story has issues. But to wrap things up, there is still so much to like. There is so much to appreciate. There is also so much setup. There, like I think that they're preparing also like a bad guys, bad girls version of the Avengers. There's this 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 quest for members, and and you know the the John Walker Captain America is probably going to join this group of you know kind of dark anti heroes, and. That, I think, would be amazing. Probably not like... I wouldn't like a, just a spin-off TV series based on these characters, but I would so love to see this playing out on big screen in Captain America 4, which actually has now entered production. And it's going to be written by the same guy who wrote the story for the first season of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So if you want to prepare for what's coming in the MCU, this is must-see television. And, yeah, despite the issues, and some of it may not be totally uh, Disney's fault, uh, but it's more like a fallout of the pandemic and its effects on the storytelling, um, This, this, there is a lot to, to enjoy. And this is one of those series where you want to go back and after having seen all these, you know, scene by scene explanations and all and having knowing all the easter eggs and knowing how the story will develop over time um this will probably bring you more enjoyment if you rewatch the series than when you just watch it once that's just my take but that's also true for the mandalorian for almost any series right now on disney plus it's it's really really good stuff all right let's move on <laughs> catholics rock Here at the 
Peculiar Brunch. We're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their weird traditions, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Well, and thankfully, I happen to be a priest, so I know a thing or two about these weird Catholics because I'm one of them, so I'm always happy to help. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Now, in my review of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I was talking about uh, the, 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 the thing, that, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the well-known fact that if you have a common enemy, it tends to bring people together. This can also be misused by, by groups that are trying to create a common enemy to close the ranks. You see this in politics. You see this in, in, in many different movements. And this is one of the dangers, I think, of any religious group. It is to see the rest of the world as a common enemy for the faithful. And uh, this is a temptation, I think, that we fall for as Catholics also. Uh, from time to time, where we tend to look around and look at the at society, look at the culture as being our enemy, as being a threat to the true believers, the defensors of the of the truth. Whereas I, I think that is inherently non-Catholic. Catholicism throughout the ages has always been about looking at the culture and seeing all the aspects of good all the the because of course all all people are created by god so there's good in any one of us um and so the the catholic attitude would also always be to look around not without criticism because you know it's it, it makes a difference if you believe or not you it's a difference if you if you uphold the the ideals and the, the moral values of a faith or not so because that determines your choices of course but it's always looking for the good in people, always looking for the good in society and in culture and integrating that, learning from it, embracing it, and sometimes also adding your own, your own values, your own culture to society. And if you look at history, you see both the, the good that the church has done, but also sometimes the evil that faithful have done in the name of the gospel because they were looking at the world from a point of view of like we are right and you are wrong we are god is on our side god is not on your side join us uh, it's it's a it's a simple easy to fall for temptation but it's not the catholic way and especially during the second vatican council uh which happened in the 70s uh, late 60s in, in, in the Catholic Church, uh, a lot of the kind of the way in which the, ch the Catholic Church wants to look at the world has, has been affirmed in that direction. It's not new, but it was an affirmation of what you see in church history throughout the ages. It's, it's like, how can we embrace this culture? How can we meet each other, talk, learn from each other? Because God is our Father, and so he also speaks to pe through people that may not be a member of our group, of our uh, culture, of our faith. And I think that if you adopt that attitude, that God also works through the people around you that are not part of your group, then it also changes your attitude towards, towards the culture. You cannot no longer see everyone else 
as the enemy or as a threat for your identity. On the contrary, they are a challenge, maybe. They may ask you questions. They may uh, help you think who you are and what you stand for. But they're not a threat. They are your brothers and sisters. If not right now, then maybe in the future. And so this is something that Pope Francis warns against uh, from time to time when he says, you know what, it, when, when we try to renew the church, we have to be careful not to close the doors and, and uh, be, become, only look inwardly. He challenges, challenges us to go to the fringes of society, to the people that don't belong anywhere, let alone to belong to the church, reach out and see if you can bring them in, see if they can truly become your friend. And this is ultimately, I think, a very fruitful approach, not without risks, of course, because it may sometimes shake you up. And and that, for, for a lot of people, especially in, in the times where culture is changing and the world is changing so quickly, that f- doesn't feel very comfortable. But who said that Christianity was about feeling comfortable. <laughs> you know, Jesus is all about, like, you want to follow me, you'd better take up your cross, you know. He's not talking about, oh, you follow me, and life is going to be so smooth, you know. Everything is going to be rose-colored. And you will know who your enemy is. It's all the people that are, don't belong to the Jesus movement. Um, never ever does Jesus say that. On the contrary, it's what he criticizes most in the Pharisees and the scribes. He's like, you guys, you seem to know so well who belongs and who doesn't belong. You make the law, but you forget to apply it to yourself. You forget to help your brother and sister in need. You forget to see that if you want to see God, look at the poor, because that is God himself who asks for your help, for your mercy, who invites you to become a giver instead of a taker, etc., etc. And just recently, um, Pope Francis warned against some of these movements within the church they're trying to kind of do that, to, to push everyone out so that we can be faithful and just and, uh, you know. He says, sometimes uh, renewal in the church forgets about prayer and, and just tries to change the church by doing stuff, by sheer management or by, uh, uh, you know, certain certain activities, uh, be it totally liturgical or totally social, etc. The thing is, no matter what faction of the Catholic Church you, you, you think you belong to, although I don't think there are, there should be factions in the Catholic Church, but either you are, you know, the more the traditional Catholic, and for you it's all about a beautiful, worthy celebration of, of, of the Eucharist, or you are at the more kind of socially inclined uh, groups that are where the gospel is reduced to social activities, certain political uh, points of view. None of that is, is what we should be. We should, first of all, we should be a group of people that looks at Jesus and what he does and follows his example. And one of the things that Jesus does all the time is to pray so if we want to change the world, if we want to change the future of the church, the first thing we should do is follow the example of Christ. And you can only know what he does if you have a relationship with him. So without prayer, faith can quickly become either, you know, social activism, but devoid of, devoid of any depth. 
uh, and ultimately devoid of any m true motivation. Or it can become this ritualist uh, group of people that forgets about, you know, that, that, that liturgy is an expression of our, our belief in God, is, is a source of inspiration for the times that we don't celebrate liturgy. Liturgy is, and prayer are supposed to change us and help us to look at the world with the eyes of Jesus and know what we should do. But you can never separate Mass from the mission. These two belong together. And the only way to, to keep everything together is by having this relationship through prayer with Christ. And if you don't, then it can become this rigid, ritualist, traditionalist, you know, closed world which I, if I'm honest, sometimes I fall for that as well. And, you know, I, as a priest, oftentimes what people expect you to do is just celebrate the liturgy. And I try to do that as well as I can. And I love beautiful liturgy. And sometimes I forget that, of course, my faith should be about so much more. And there should be a connection between what I celebrate on Sunday and then what I do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. This all belongs together. And so... Uh, it's a challenge, and it's sometimes very difficult to look at the world with like an open mind and an open spirit and with loving eyes because there's so much that worries us, so much that threatens us, and especially if we feel that like everybody's forgetting about God, we sometimes forget that we too often forget about God. And if we blame the world for not praying enough, we should first look at ourselves in a mirror and ask ourselves, are we praying enough? Are we maintaining and nurturing that relationship with God. If not, anything I do is going to be ultimately without fruit. So that is what I wanted to share with you briefly in this segment of The Peculiar Bunch. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? This is the jingle for my book segment, and I have found a fellow Wheel of Time enthusiast, and it was the most unlikely version ever. <laughs> I was so here in this house, I live together with Father Henry, who loves to read, but most of what he reads is literature. He loves Latin, he's a he's a, an amazing talent when it comes to Latin, he can speak Latin. Who can speak Latin? I can read Latin, but I can't speak it. Father Henry can. Um, and there's also Eric, who is a seminarian, and he's currently doing his internship. It's the final stage before the ordination. And uh, at first, I didn't really know Eric, so we were talking mostly about parish stuff and about his internship and, you know, churchy topics. And that one morning, I was in the kitchen, and he was cooking something, and we were talking about books. And he asks me, so what kind of books do you read right now? And I was like, uh, well, you're probably not going to, we're probably not going to have anything in common there because I, I tend to read mostly fantasy and science fiction. And he's like, okay, so what kind of, what kind of book? What, what, give me some titles. And I said, well, right now I'm currently trying to read the third book of a huge series. So you probably don't know it. It's written by uh, Robert Jordan, and it's called Wheel of Time. And he's like, oh, Wheel of Time, I love that. I've read the entire series. And I was like, wait, wh what? 
You know, not only you know Wheel of Time, but you've read the entire thing, like 14 books times 600 pages a book. Like, that is insane. So I was so happy to discover. And it's also super motivating to have someone who has actually already read through all these books because to me, it's a huge mountain, these books. I want to read it because I know that this is worth it. And uh, he again told me, the, especially the, the, the way the story ends, it's fantastic. Uh, Anderson took over after uh, Jordan died and, and, and wrote a, a very, very good conclusion to the overall saga of The Wheel of Time. And so he said, you know, just hold on, keep reading. It's going to be worth your time. So that was the encouragement that I needed to uh, continue <laughs> reading The Wheel of Time. They're also currently, in case you forgot about that, currently... Uh, in in I think in post production of a first season made by Amazon Prime, uh, based on the Wheel of Time. It's gonna be a little bit different. It's not gonna be you know textually. You can't do that. There's so many characters. There's so much happening in every book. So what they did is they put certain characters together and created new characters. So maybe for the purists, it's not gonna be enough. But it's a bit what they did with The Witcher as well. And, well, we all love the, the, what, what, what Amazon did with The Witcher. So here's hoping that they will do a good job translating at least this kind of the spirit of these, these stories and making people, you know, motivate people to read the, the original. I think it's going to be amazing. Um, so uh, that, that was really, really cool to find a, someone who, you know, works, is going to, going to work, is going to be a fellow priest, hopefully, in the future, who's also a fan of The Wheel of Time. <laughs> oh God, what are the odds? Uh, the second thing I wanted to briefly uh, mention here, kind of remotely has to do with books, has to do with uh, the written manuscripts that we have of certain Bible books. Now, as you know, the Bible is not one book. The Bible consists of many different books that are written at different times through history, also in different literary genres. That is why sometimes you have these war stories or historical stories, or you have the Psalms, which are kind of poems. Uh, you've got apocalyptic uh, narratives like, uh, well, the Apocalypse, the, <laughs> the last book of the Bible. And all these different genres and different authors um, tell something about the way people live their faith and the way they looked at history and uh, at their world through the eyes of faith. Um, what, and that makes the Bible so incredibly interesting for scientists as well. Who wrote what? And, and, and what were the influences of all these different people? Most of the time, we don't really know who wrote these stories down because the Bible, uh, at least partially, comes from an oral tradition. So these stories were told sometimes from generation on generation before they were written down. So you can imagine how much that impacted the actual content of these stories. That is why you should never read the Bible like a, a fact, factual, you know, moment by moment description of what happened. When you read the Bible, you read interpretive writing. You, you read people that write, also, of course, helped with by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but they wrote down a faith-filled version of events, um, which does not make the Bible invalid just because it's not exactly factual, although you would be surprised how much historical fact is, you know, the basis of these stories. But it adds layers of interpretation. Just like if you listen to, let's say, a director's commentary on your favorite movie, it will help you appreciate the story even more. 
that is kind of how you should read Bible stories with that in mind. You know, I'm reading actually not really director's commentary. There's only one director, and that's God himself. But you read these layers of interpretation based on history and historical events. Um, Now, of course, we have the Bible as it is because they were at one point written down. And one of the oldest sources that we found are the Qumran uh, scriptures. These were discovered uh, a, f- a number of decades ago in, a, in a, a cave sealed off from the outside world, and they were very well preserved. Well, sometimes they were a little bit, uh, well, a little bit. <laughs> they were shred to pieces, but we still have a lot of the original rolls. These were basically parchment on which they would write. And what, what is so cool is that the most modern technology has now given us a glimpse of who wrote down these stories. And, of course, in the past you would have these experts and they, they would analyze the handwriting and compare it and they would kind of uh, deduct, you know, this is probably written in that time or this is maybe a copy of a copy. But it, it, it pales in comparison with what computers nowadays can do. So what they did is they, they took, the I think, the book of Isaiah. They scanned in everything. And then the computer, of course, with a, at a speed that humans can do, compared all these different words and, and, and uh, characters, Hebrew characters, with one another and discovered sli- minor, minor variations between one part of the manuscript and another part. And, and saw repetitions of, of certain tiny little ways of writing a certain character. They are very similar, but the computer analysis revealed that we're actually talking about two scribes who wrote the, the story. Probably one scribe wrote the first part and the other scribe wrote the second part. And so for the first time, the computer allows us to get very close to the people that wrote this down. It was not Isaiah who wrote this down. Or, you know, actually, this we don't know for sure, you know, what number, uh, the, what the number is of this copy. Did, did they write it from other scriptural sources, other written sources? Uh, did they write this down from oral tradition? All this, we don't know. And now, finally, this computer analysis can... can can show us dimensions that we couldn't see with the bare, you know, the naked eye. Uh, people from all over the world, world especially the, the scripture um, uh, scientists, they are so excited by this. And now they can also use this for other manuscripts as well. They can, you can use this same analysis also with medieval uh, copies. You can also apply this to other written sources, not just the Bible. You can use this for, to, to figure out you know, what was going on when they were writing down these stories? And what does that tell us about the way in which these stories are conveyed? Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Yeah. Well, one piece of technology that did not end in disaster was, of course, 
the Mars rover, the newest one, and the little helicopter that it uh, dropped on the surface of the planet Mars. Uh, a little little baby explorer, almost. Like, maybe the Mars equivalent of Baby Yoda, who's like, oh, I'm here. I'm going to try to fly around. Now, you, you know, of course, that the initial flight had been postponed they did a test where you actually saw the rotor blades and i was like oh this is the coolest thing ever we're gonna fly a helicopter on mars but then there was something wrong in the programming there was a little software issue that fortunately they were able to resolve very quickly and then we finally saw the first flight of a helicopter on another planet and it couldn't have been more cooler you know what the coolest thing was of the whole thing it's not just that we are able to fly a helicopter on another planet. It's already pretty hard on this planet. Um, but what for me was the most gratifying aspect of this was the live stream coming from the people that were monitoring this, the, the people at NASA, the scientists. And I was so excited to see that all these, these scientists are very young people. They're like a generation younger than I am. And he's like, you realize all of a sudden, like the old image that I had of, of NASA was like all these older people, older scientists with, you know, glasses and smoking cigars and wearing white lab coats. That's kind of the image that you see often in movies. And that used to be the fact or the case probably in, you know, the 50s and 60s and the, the golden era of, of space exploration. But nowadays you see young people in T-shirts from all sorts of different nationalities and backgrounds and they're all there. Looking at lots of data, I, the only thing they showed us was like lots and lots and lots of, of, of rows of computer data. And then you have this one guy who is like uh, confirming that we've received data, confirming that we have uh, initiation of the rotor blades, confirming this, confirming that. And then finally is like uh, <laughs> confirming that there has been a flight and the helicopter is down on the ground again and is now transmitting the first images. And you see this explosion of joy in the in the the, the, the mission room. And then you get this first photo and it, it's a little bit st a strange photo, black and white photo taken from the underside of the helicopter and it, it photographs the ground. So this is the first you know, helicopter photo that we've ever seen. And the thing was that was a bit confusing is that you see the contours of the helicopter. It turns out it's the shadow that you see. So it is the helicopter taking a picture of its own shadow while it is hovering above it. How amazing is that? And then later on, we get the images of the actual, uh, uh, what is it, the discovery? or No, it's not the discovery, the whatever. The other, the, the real Mars rover filming the the ascent and descent of this of the mars helicopter and you see, again you see i have this explosion of joy of pride of you know for years and years and years these kids have been well i call them kids because i'm a little bit older these kids have been working on this and then they actually get to see it with their own eyes and to me, this is the equivalent of what my parents must have experienced when they saw the the footage coming from the the landing on on, on, on the moon, which is so close compared to Mars. But have it's that same exhilaration of like, we were able to pull this off. How amazing is this? It was mind blowing and I loved it. So I'm hoping that we'll get to see a lot more cool stuff from the planet Mars soon. And you may hear the bells in the in the background that those are the bells of the uh, 
church. I'm recording this on a Sunday morning, and it's time for the International Mass. And in case you want to see that, go to uh, my YouTube page or my Facebook page, and that's where I usually post those Masses for you to follow. Thanks for uh, watching. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a patron at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. I will see you soon. Take care, and God bless.